special edition of the Experience Darden and the Exec MBA podcast. I'm your host, Brett Twitty. On this episode of the podcast, I decided to feature my recent conversation with a member of our full-time MBA class of 2021, Coco Waltz, and a member of our executive MBA class of 2021, Isabel Kale Larson. Coco and Isabel are part of the Hummingbird team. This is a startup venture here at the Darden School of Business. We recently connected with them to talk more about how things are going, what attracted them uh, to this particular venture, their Darden experience, and so much more. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, here's my interview with Coco Waltz and Isabel Kale Larson. Coco, Isabel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having us. Well, it's great to have you here. Uh, first and foremost, how are you doing, Coco? How is everything? Everything's great. I am on the eve of graduation, basically, and feeling all sorts of exciting, but also um, nostalgic moments because we have our senior, or sorry, second year activities. I say senior because I'm feeling, feeling old, <laughs> um, but I feel, I feel great. I'm happy to be back in um, Charlottesville. Isabel, how about you? You doing okay? Doing well. Excited to go back to Charlottesville one last time as a student before graduation hits. Amazing. Well, congratulations uh, to, to both of you. Um, it's an exciting time. It's a nostalgic time. Maybe a little bit of bittersweet. Uh, a lot of, lot of emotions, a lot of feels right now. Um, yeah. So I want to take the first half of our conversation to talk about your backgrounds, your stories, what led you to Darden. The second half, this is part of an ongoing series where we've been talking with student founders, venturers here in the Darden community. We're going to talk about your venture, Hummingbird, but we'll get to that. But first and foremost, let's let's talk more about, about you. So Coco, we're going to start with you. Tell us yeah. a bit more about your Darden before your background before coming to Darden. Um, mm-hmm. What did you do? So I well, I'm from Boston. I grew up in the in the South End, which um, is true Boston. I think you'll ask a lot of people where they're from and they say Boston, you should ask them to specify. They might say a suburb of Boston. But I grew up in, in the city of Boston and I went to Boston College. I actually went to college closer to home than I did high school. Um, and that's because I played I played um, I played soccer in college and I played soccer at BC. But I and I loved playing there, but I actually wanted to play at UVA. They are just so, so, so good that I, I was accepting basically being a recruited walk-on and I felt like no, I'm, I'm never going to play here. I did really want to play. So it was a tough decision though. Honestly, I would have been, a rec- I was really torn between two. Um, so I came to UVA and I was like, I love it here, but I, I just, I'm not going to, I can't, I want to play. So I didn't go to UVA, but it, it stayed in my heart and in my mind clearly. Um, so then I fast forward, I, I moved to New York after Boston college I work at JP Morgan in um, sales and trading. I was specifically doing work with hedge funds and asset owners like endowment plans, or sorry, endowments, um, pension plans, um, their investments into hedge funds. And that was a really awesome experience. It was very specific. It was really, um, we were working with like one, basically one type of client, um, which were hedge funds. And I was ready to sort of expand beyond that. Um, I didn't exactly know what, because I actually did like finance. I liked being on a team, but I hit this point where I thought, you know, there, there's more out there, but I don't know. I don't know what I don't know, which I feel like is a classic phrase MBA prospective students might say. Um, and so I was started to do the MBA search and, it really was quite simple, honestly, because I had this itch to return back to Charlottesville where I could not play soccer, but also wanted to attend. Um, and so I visited, it was the first school I visited. It was the top of my list because I quickly was like, oh, let's, let's just see what their, what their MBA program is like. And I went and visited and knew immediately uh, that I really wanted to go there. And I, this any prospective student out there listening, this is just my story. This isn't necessarily me giving advice because I only applied to Darden. And that's not because I thought it was, you know, the, the place I must be at. I, it was honestly, because it was, it's a lot of work to apply to business school. It's a ton of work. And I was in a sales environment where I really couldn't be too distracted from work. Um, So I, I just put everything I could into this early application um, again, this is just my, my story. I think a lot of people m- might suggest doing it differently. Um, but I really, really wanted to go to Darden, gave it my all. 
applied early action and then found out I got in and fast forward and here I am. I mean, it's been since that moment of finding out in October in, uh, I got a call at my desk at JP Morgan in um, Manhattan and I just felt like, wow, this is, this is maybe the most accomplished I've ever felt because it was the first thing I just felt like I really did on my own, right? Like my parents were like, hey, you should, you should, you know, apply to college or something like that. <laughs> so yeah, here I am. Well, I appreciate all of that. I mean, I understand. I mean, applying to business school, it does take a lot of time. If you're doing it the right way and you're taking that time to reflect on your story and really mm-hmm. introspect and do all those things that we encourage applicants to do as you can shape and craft your narrative and think about how that translates to your application, it takes a lot of time, not to mention money, resources, all, all right. of these kinds of things. So you yeah. um, can understand applying, applying, putting it all in at one school, early action, seeing yeah. how it worked out and then maybe, maybe thinking about next steps from there, but it worked out. You're, exactly. you're here yeah. Right. I thought it, the earlier I applied, then the more optionality I would afford myself with, um, with time because if I applied only one school third round, I might have been more pressed for time for that year. Um, so I tried to get everything in early. And yeah, you're right. It, it's a lot of time and energy and money. Isabel, how about you? What was your story before coming to Darden? So you'll see Coco and I have crazy similar stories. We have a lot in common with our backgrounds. Um, so I went to Penn State. And I graduated uh, with a major in finance and Spanish. And my junior year, I got an internship at JP Morgan in Manhattan as well. Um, So after that summer, I returned back full time. um, And I was a banking analyst for two years. And it was just a lot, (laughs) like super demanding, really, really poor work-life balance. But similar to Coco, I love certain attributes of working in finance, the challenge, the team dynamic, the fast-paced environment. And so um, at that point, I realized, okay, something has to change, whether that be the geography I'm working in, because, you know, New York Wall Street life is very demanding, um, or it had to be changing industry. And I wasn't quite ready to switch industry and give up on finance. And so I actually moved down to DC and joined a firm called Sands Capital, which is actually right down the street from the Rosslyn campus that you guys have there. Um, So I was there for about three years before I started thinking, okay, what's next? And, you know, everyone's talking about how Darden's coming to Rosslyn, very convenient for me. And I, similar to Coco, only ended up applying to Darden. Mm -hmm. I actually walked in to the office there. I was visiting a friend who was there for a lunch. And I was like, let me just ask if they're ever going to have a part-time MBA program. And next thing you know, I asked the secretary who's sitting at the front desk. And then the like head of admissions comes out. I was like, oh, wait, I'm not ready for this conversation. Like that was not my intention. I just wanted to ask a yes or no question. One thing led to another, and she connected me with Catherine Alford, and she talked me through how I would be eligible for the executive MBA program, which I didn't think I was. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, one thing led to the next, and I I really didn't want to even apply anywhere else. I had just started a lot of new things in D.C., and I just didn't feel like I was ready to leave the area. And so... um, I, I did not apply super early like Coco. Unfortunately, I, I wasn't super proactive on that part, but I applied in, I would say the winter, like January, February, probably, probably. And then I got the call after my interview with you, Brett. And um, they told me that I had been accepted and that was a really exciting time for me. Um, and the reason that I applied was because I did know I wanted to do something different. Like Coco said, you don't know what you don't know. And I wanted to get exposure to a lot of different potential career paths that, Mm -hmm. you know, I just hadn't been afforded the opportunity to learn about. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just figured going to school would be a great way to enhance my, you know, general skill set, but also get exposure to a lot of different ways I could carve my career path out. Yeah. 
Well, thank you, Isabel. And, you know, full-time MBA applicants, it tends to be a bit more lockstep in terms of timing because all the schools basically have very similar deadline structures, a lot more organization around round one, round two exec. It's a much more extended timeline. We offer monthly deadlines and it seems like every school that we overlap has a slightly different overlap with has a slightly different application deadline structure. And so we see applicants from August, September, all the way sometimes until the summer, depending on you know if there's still seats remaining in the class. So uh, I, want to, I want to stick with you for this next question. Had you always thought about pursuing an MBA or is this something as you got into your career that you realized that could be helpful to you? Interesting question. I always wanted to get my MBA. I didn't know when it would be. Um, there was a time when I was in New York that I had considered it, but I think I was really doing it for the wrong reasons. I don't think it was because I wanted to learn as much as I wanted to just prove myself to other people and get that like stamp of approval. And so I just felt like my heart wasn't really in the right place to pursue that at the time. And so I kind of stepped away and, you know, for, t- for months and years after that, I had prayed about it when it would be the right time. And then it all seemed to fall into place um, when I actually, you know, <laughs> unknowingly stepped into into your guys's top four and and all of a sudden was speaking to the admissions officer so Coco how about you um it sounds like you know you kind of arrived at a point in your career where you where you realized okay this is something that can that can be helpful to me but is it going back a little bit is an MBA something that had been on your mind for a while or was it a relatively uh, recent idea It had been on my mind for as long as I was on a college campus. And that's because when, if you unfortunately get hurt or you, when this isn't a college sport, if you get hurt or you didn't play um, because, you know, the the team was just so, so good, you can redshirt. And then once you redshirt, which means you miss a year of that sport, you, you, you keep a year of eligibility to play, which also means in, in the NCAA rules, like in order to be able to play, you have to be enrolled in an academic program of that school. So a lot of my teammates that had missed a year were actually doing an MBA themselves because they had finished their undergraduate um, program. So I had seen a bunch of my teammates go through with the MBA, but you know, it's funny, they didn't really make it seem like it was this epic experience. They sort of made it seem like, well, I have to do it to play soccer. Um, so that, that almost, that almost made me not want to do it because I had just not seen it be this amazing, engrossing, awesome experience. Um, but then when I, um, when I hit, when I hit that point at JP Morgan, like I was saying, where I was like, all right, what else is, what else is there out there? Um, what else is out there? I, um, I realized that, uh, the experience was something that I wanted to, to re, re, I guess, have a different perspective on because uh, I, I had heard from a bunch of other people. And this was the other thing I was going to say in my story before. I treated everything with my application to Darden. I treated everything very seriously, not um, which like, for example, from I would email students that had like allowed their email to be on the Darden like website to contact. Like, they were ambassadors. I emailed them so formally. I thought that everything I did was part of this application process. And I actually think that that type of, that type of commitment is um, why I'm in here. I, I don't think I, I could have done it any other way. Um, so when, once I began that journey, I, I was like, you know what, an MBA is, is for me. And I think the Donna, um, Donna Clark has said this to me, um, we've talked about this, which is you learn a lot about yourself in, in the application of business school because they're asking questions of you where do you see yourself in five years or what's, what's the most important thing you've accomplished for a community of others or what? And you're like, wow, what, what, what matters to me? Um, So I think in the application, it solidified more that I wanted my MBA. Um, So it was already planted. It was already a seed. And then it sort of grew once I opened up the application. That certainly squares with how we talk about the application process with candidates in that, if you're doing it the right way, you are asking a lot of those deep questions about yourself. And ideally you're giving yourself time to do that kind of kind of thinking too. Mm-hmm. You could rush through the application and probably fill it out in a day or two. It tends not to be the, the best applications that we see, um, more, more a product of that kind of introspection. Isabel, it seemed like you might've had a thought too. Yeah, right? I, was, I was going to say what, um, what Coco did that 
especially people who apply to business school, I feel like they're so busy constantly, very proactive, always taking initiative on things. And we forget to carve out time to ask ourselves those questions or we don't give ourselves the capacity to do so. And I, I felt the same way going through the application process. They're, they're not crazy questions, but they're more introspective questions that shockingly I had not spent more time thinking about. And so I appreciated that element of the application because it was truly about like you and who you are and where you see yourself as mm-hmm. opposed to just kind of bragging um, right. about your, your past accomplishments. Right. So Coco, UVA had obviously been a school that was on your radar for a while. Um, what about Darden specifically resonated with you though? I came down and visited once I knew I had an interview. Um, so this was my second visit because the first one I had come down, I, um, well, actually I've been many times. I've lost on Faulkner Field like four times because that's how many times PC plays them. Um, I knew how beautiful the school was. Here, here are a few easy ones that made Darden um, super attractive to me as a prospective student. The first was this gorgeous, yet small, and when I say small, I mean that in, in, a, in, a, in a complimentary way, a small building that was housing, you know, 600 incredibly bright individuals that were just buzz, buzzing around um, this small area because I felt like, oh, I not only am I in this one building where I can probably navigate where my class is, that seems doable. Not this, you know, massive, um, massive camp or grounds rather spread out um, across the city. It's, it's right here. And when I started talking to students, uh, I was asking like, oh, you know, the, the classic question, why, why did you start started? And the salient response of all of them, um, it's crazy. You would have thought that somebody paid them to say the exact same thing because that's what they said it, it's a community it, because you couldn't get the community effect in terms of location um like you can at Darden a lot of people move to Charlottesville and they are just within a two mile radius of, of of grounds of where we attend class and I thought you know if I'm going to do this MBA thing if I'm going to really go all in I want everybody around me to be all in. I want everybody to be bought in. I don't want to, you know, walk out of class and then someone hop on a train or get in a car and go somewhere, you know, further into the city or somewhere further into wherever they live. Um, I really, really wanted that community feel. And I don't, and I, I just don't know where else besides Charlottesville that that could have been. I'm sure there's other schools that offer that, but it just felt so personal um, in Charlottesville at at Garden and the building and the ethos of it. Of course, I think Jefferson gets some credit for the way he designed um, Darden, or sorry, designed UVA, and Darden sort of replicated that um, that ecosystem of learning. So those those are the like the physical and sort of um, non physical easy uh, easy uh, attractions for me. Uh, I've also sat in the classroom, which was an incredible experience, just seeing students engage with each other and I it was crazy for me to be I was an economics major at BC and a lot of classes were lectures that's that's how the learning style is and that's honestly how I have learned a lot in my life or so I thought learn learn with quotation marks because I didn't know how much you could learn with like very little involvement from a professor when I when I sat in on that class I was shocked honestly I, I just was at what I saw, I was like, I don't know how many words the teacher said that class, um, but so much was going on. So after I sat in on the class, visited, of course, it, it was a gorgeous day that I visited, so that didn't hurt. Um, and yeah, th- those were a culmination of, of my, my why on, on being all in on Darden. Isabel, how about for you? You mentioned that you had applied to one school, um, Darden, and, and what about Darden specifically resonated with you as you made your MBA decision? Yeah. Um, well, the convenience of it was a huge factor for me, quite frankly. Um, it was literally in the same building that I worked in. And since I was doing the exec program, I would still be employed at the same time um, and not have to sacrifice all of that income. I didn't really feel like I was in a place financially where I could forego that. Um, so that was one thing. Another thing is I knew a few people who had gone through the program and had spoken very highly of it. Um, and there were people who I really trust, admired, and respected and saw 
the way that their careers kind of took off. And so that was really helpful just to get their perspective as having gone through the program. And then similar to Coco, I went and visited for an in-class session, which <laughs> most people will, would cringe. It was a bond valuation class. And I was like, oh, I know all this stuff. Like, this is great. And so I think it just put me in the mindset of like, oh, I would really love to be in the classroom and, and be learning about things like this and going deeper. Um, but similar to what Coco said, I was shocked at how interactive it was, conversational. And you could see like light bulb moments happening real time with students as the conversation was going on. And so I really loved the case study method that was being deployed in the class. Um, and then I would go to basically any and all event that all events that you and Catherine would invite me to. I'm sure you recall. Um, I was always up because, you know, I only had to walk right down the hall to get there. But um, I just loved meeting the people. I just felt like the professors that I met, the administrators, the students, like everyone was remarkably welcoming kind, brilliant, yet humble. And I think I was always fearful of the stigma that people put on, you know, MBA students, how they're all so, you know, self-righteous and it's a very competitive environment and all of that. And I never had any sense of that when I was meeting people. And so I think that's something that also gave me a lot of confidence going into the program because although Coco and I are super competitive in certain things, I think in the learning environment, that's not a place that, um, that that would really help my growth. I think it would kind of just make me sit back a bit more. So I really like the, the interactive conversational element of the way that they learn. One of the things that it's been interesting to talk with students about here on the podcast is the adjustment to being a new MBA student. And both of you re referenced that you'd had prior exposure finance careers, you've probably done some things with numbers, Coco, you were an econ major. And so um, maybe some of the curriculum was familiar to you, but undoubtedly there were learning curves. Isabel, were there adjustments for you as you got used to being a, a Darden student and executive MBA student uh, here? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think working full time and, you know, fitting into your schedule, all the class prep and materials that you have to work through because, you know, I love reading, but this is a very different type of reading. And so I think, you know, recognizing when you're best able to really work through that material and be focused in a way that you can absorb it, you can't just read it and move on. Like you have to really be attentive to what, what you're doing. And so I think that was hard for me because I'm not great at night and I would try and do my schoolwork after I got home at work, after mm -hmm. I got home from work. And it was just a lot for me. I would read a page and be like, what the heck did I just read and have to go back and read it again. Then I had to switch my schedule and I would just wake up really early in the morning. I'm an early bird. And I just, I changed it that way. But I will say like the first three weeks was a really big transition for me just from a time perspective. And so that was really, really hard. I tried to read like every single page, every single graph. And then my learning team was like, guys, we're drowning and we're only three weeks into this. We have to start working together more, divide and conquer. And I feel so blessed with my learning team. They're still my best friends in the program to this day. And we, you know, came up with a method that worked for everyone, um, whether that was assigning certain cases and walking through the other team members by it, um, and, and I'm just so thankful for how um, collaborative everyone was in that process, because if you try and do it all on your own, it is extremely overwhelming. And I was very stressed out just trying to manage everything. Um, and I had actually just started dating my now husband and I wanted time for him. Didn't feel like it was fair to just like ice him out just because mm -hmm. I started the program. So yeah. it, was, it was a huge adjustment. And I think being very upfront with everyone about what your schedule will now look like is really important so that they don't feel like you're neglecting them, not responding to them, avoiding them, et cetera. Like you never want the people who are closest to you to feel that way. And so I had a few very like clear conversations with my family and my friends that guys, I just might not be as present uh, for the next few months, but it's not for any negative reason. So 
I think those conversations were really helpful because then you don't feel the burden to be everything to everyone. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what I was trying to do in those first few weeks until I hit my breaking point and was like, all right, we got to change this up. Yeah. Coco, for you, yeah. any, any learning curves, anything that, that required some adjustment as you got started at Darden? I mean, every day is a learning curve here at Darden <laughs> because your, your classmates are so bright, honestly. They're, the type of bright my classmates are, though, are, and it sounds corny, but it, I really truly mean it. It's an inclusive bright. People want you, they want to share what they know with the class. They want to share what they know with you. And um, that type of openness it also takes openness on your end because you have to say, you know, I don't know this. Um, and being an econ major, having worked in finance, I knew, I knew some things for sure. Not like not every day was completely brand new, but there were so many, actually every day had something brand new in it, even if it was a new way of learning about bonds. Um, so yeah, I, but I came into the experience and perhaps this is one thing for prospective students to keep in mind is like to come in um, just with an open mind, even on things that you do and don't know. Mm -hmm. I think um, the openness to learning just allowed me to pay attention in class in a way I've never, I was so exhausted at UPM because I was locked in at 8 a.m. to that 1, 120, whatever, that 115 um, p.m. time of core, which is class, class, class. And because I knew the only way I was going to get through the program is to be so, so, so focused in class because I couldn't do all the work on my own outside of class, which is the point, right? You go to class to I up what you didn't what you didn't know um so that that was my trick of, of really getting by um I realized early on that I was like I can't I can't do every single case because I I can read them but I can't solve solve them um so I felt like if I listened really hard in class I would make up for the time that I couldn't spend you know in the wee hours of the night reading or, or try you know doing another try at it so that, that definitely helped to learn on to learn on the early side, um, but there, there's still huge adjustments. I mean, what Isabel described is actually what a lot of Darden's, what I'd say a, a common trend of Darden students, um, maybe business schools at large is to hit a quote unquote breakdown, um, which this is gonna sound corny, but they're really like breakthrough moments, right? Because you, you come, you're in this, <laughs> in this, in this area, a space in your head where you are really tired, you are trying everything, you feel like you're not as well connected with your friends from home from before business school, yet you don't have super close friends at business school. So you're like in this, in this crossroads, and you're like, oh God, I gave so much to this, to, to be here. And, you know, you want to call it a breakdown, but shortly what unfolds after that, I find is um, a breakthrough for a lot of people. I mean, watching it amongst my classmates has been um, a gift because then I learned from them. I certainly went through one. Um, and that's like a life thing though. That's not dark. I think that, and Darden just gives you, gives you that opportunity. So it's easy for me to, you know, be all nostalgic talking about those breakdown breakthrough moments, but yes, they are very hard in the moment. I don't want to overlook that. Uh, so I, yeah, I definitely, um, I'm always, adjusting to to the new and bright students at, at Darden. I mean, the first first year students come in and they they have lots to offer. So um, it's not really just an early on thing. It's kind of like an everyday thing that you get used to um, over time. Well, let's talk about Hummingbird. So Hummingbird Ooh, is, yeah. is your venture. Now that we set the <laughs> yes. stage, we've learned more about you. Let's talk about um, what y'all are working on together. So Coco, yeah. tell us a little bit more about what Hummingbird is. Hummingbird is a direct-to-consumer sports bra um, company for women athletes, runners that want to have the safety and convenience of essential items such as their their phone, their keys, their wallet, um, but not at the expense of running with them in their hand or going for a hike with them in their hand or in these chunky side pockets that weigh them down. This problem, that's a problem that the uh, my specific sports pro product solves. So basically that's how Hummingbird started. It started with wanting to improve a sports bra, wanting to improve the running the running experience for women and then build a business around it, build a company around it. Um, so that, that, that's Hummingbird 
And it, it's a me, it started as a me problem, which I then found was actually a we problem. We meaning like women runners, women athletes that were sharing in this um, mutual frustration with having to run with their phone or run with their keys in these really uncomfortable ways. Um, and I am someone that I, I'm an, I'm a, I've run a few marathons. I run a lot in Charlottesville and COVID sort of exacerbated how much I was running and, and seeing other women run. And I also felt this is a matter of safety. This is an issue for women to not, to not have these objects, these essentials, their phone, um, their keys, their credit card when they run. This is, they need these items, but they need a better way to carry them. Um, and I knew this personally. I knew this from running races. I knew this from just long runs. And um, yeah, it, it, all, it all sort of came together for me about a year ago from, from now, maybe a little bit more actually, probably April of last year, I was in Saras's um, effectuation class and it really hit me that I might not just be solving a problem for myself. Isabel, I'm curious about how you and Coco connected because yeah. our listeners are probably wondering this exact same question, mm -hmm. hearing that you're in the executive MBA program, right. Coco's in the full-time MBA program. Right. Uh, how did y'all get together? So you referred to this before VPX. Um, that was something that I definitely knew I wanted to pursue given that I was switching industries. I wanted exposure to the apparel industry um, before I quit my job. Um, just so I knew that, you know, more of what I was getting myself into confirming this, you know, is the path that I see myself going down. And so from VPX, I had a conversation with Robin Swift, who has been extremely helpful with me pursuing this transition. And, you know, she had a few people in mind who were working on apparel startups, but she said, you know, I know this really awesome girl in the full-time program and she's trying to fix sports bras. Everyone knows her as the sports bra girl. Do you want to meet her? I was like, I would love to. That sounds wonderful. And so she connected Coco and I and Coco and, and me had like a wonderful first time conversation. And it was kind of like a no brainer. I don't even know if we really spoke about it. It was kind of just like, whatever you need me to do, I'll do. And I, I just want to learn and be a resource to you. And so, yeah. um, from that moment on, we just started working together, even before the program started. I'm pretty sure we were doing stuff before the formal VPX class had begun. And I had defined my outline of, you know, what I was expecting yeah. to get out of the, the um, experience. And so it's been absolutely wonderful. I'm so thankful that I know that you get overwhelmed with emails. This is for, you know, potential future students it seems like there's a lot of information coming at you. And sometimes you have to be grateful when they send you five reminders because you might miss the first few. And, you know, when that last reminder comes in, it actually could be, you know, the opportunity that you have been waiting for. And so that's when I saw the VPX come in. And um, I'm just so thankful for the experience because obviously working with Coco has given me enough confidence to leave my full-time job and start pursuing um, this path. So yeah it's been great yeah and that's also Isabel's personality though when she just said that she got started working with me before the VPX program began first of all she didn't even like tell me when it was beginning she was like yeah so let me know what what we're doing tomorrow and this type of proactive energy was super helpful to me um when I was in early days because it, the timing was very interesting actually I was this was November of 2020 and I had just completed venture velocity or i was on the heels of completing venture velocity which is damon devito's class for second year entrepreneurs that are really really trying to get from crawling to walking and maybe running and maybe sprinting for some for some people um he takes in different ideas the, the class is small and intimate and, and intentionally so that the the sharing of ideas and um, venture related updates are, you know, we're, we're a team, basically, we're all encouraging each other, even though we're on separate, um, separate wavelengths. And I was clearly hitting this point, I'm a, I was a sole, I am a sole founder, but I was a sole team uh, at that point. And uh, the, I think the sort of elephant in the room for my class is sort of like you, you need some help, basically, you're hitting that point where you are 
you're at it alone. And it wasn't like I, 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 there was no way forward without somebody else, but it was becoming clear that that was something I would really benefit from. And then I get an email from Isabel and Robin and it, it was really um, serendipitous. So I, I'm also super thankful. And then I also realized when I introduced Hummingbird, I, I probably should have specified this because this is a listening thing, not a viewing thing. My sportswear has a front zipper pocket, which is horizontal in the front. Um, so it's not, the pocket is, fits your phone securely. It doesn't bounce or move because of the pocket fitting. And it, it's an antimicrobial moisture wicking uh, pocket that keeps your phone safe and secure. Other essentials go in the pocket, like a mask can fit in there. And I have videos and, and content to, to show that, but I thought I should paint the visual a little bit better because there are sports bras out there with like back pockets and some other random like pockets that fit like a tiny key, but no, they're the front horizontal zipper pocket does, does not exist. I'm really proud to have brought that to the market. I do want to give a shout out for an additional member of your team, Madison yes. Maslow. Yeah. Um, yes. so- Madison. Your your team is unique in that you have an executive MBA student. You have a student from arts and, and sciences. We're all graduating. The university. We're the trifecta. We're the yeah. trifecta, all graduating, um, all women. And we, yeah, and w- this is, and so the connection to Madison is, is also Damon because Madison is actually a Charlottesville uh, native and Damon knows her family from being in Charlottesville as well. And she was on uh, the track team before. Um, and she's such an amazing young woman. I, mm-hmm. I really have was thankful for her. She, she brings so much. It's crazy how much she makes the table. She will take photos of the sports bra, like professional photos of the sports bra one day. And then the other day she will be like, you know, figuring out how to um, adjust something on my website. I mean, she, she does it all. So we are, we're a power squad because of, because of her. Unfortunately, she can't be here, but. Um, she was honored to to have um, have Hummingbird be featured. So where are things right now with Hummingbird? How's it going? It's it's going great, honestly. I going great, but there's still the problem of I can't. I'm not really meeting demand as fast as I'd like. Um, I will have six, you know, six sports bra orders come in one day, and I have to quickly run out to the seamstress and, and work with her to get them fulfilled as soon as possible. Um, so I'm, I'm, the great thing is that I'm reaching friction points, right. Which are really helpful. There are signs to you that you're growing friction points. Cause you're like, wow, I need to, I need to get product out faster because I don't want my uh, customers waiting or, um, my customers want to buy another, but they want to buy a different size for someone that's a, a friend or whatever. Like if, uh, boyfriend wants to buy a girlfriend or a brother wants to buy a sister or something, they, they need more information on sizing, which is, so again, these friction points are like, well, you're growing, you're reaching more people. So it's going really well, but those friction points are uh, important for me to figure out in, in this time with Isabel and Madison, because we do, we have a lot of work to scale up. And part of that scaling is going from our current operations right now is we we hand make our sports bras in Charlottesville with this wonderful woman named Ida. Uh, she is one of she's a tailor um, seamstress in in Charlottesville, and she's been working with us for the year. And she has basically makes sports bras, so we sort of do them on like by the order. So order comes in, then I work with her. She's close by, but we're at that point where we want to scale up. So where Isabel has been extremely helpful. And I think where Isabel and I, I won't speak too much for her has really wanted to be involved with Hummingbird is understand like the supply chain of when something goes from concept to basically scaled up to full fledged production um, and how that, how that goes down. Um, So I have been working with Isabel to touch base with manufacturers and then sort of like narrow in on, one or two. Well, I have, I have one that we're, you know, doing prototyping with, but it's not, it's actually not safe to only have one. And I've learned that. And I want to give a shout out quickly to Christina and Matt Loftus, 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 sorry, um, at Roback, the Roback founders. They have been so supportive, so helpful. They are the hardest workers I think I've ever met of the Darden, like alumni founder community. I mean, they're, everyone is a hard worker, but 
being so close to them in in where they're like physically located and also just close to them in the sense that they were recently here, recently building uh, Roback. I I just learned a lot from them, and they are always texting you know, on the side or an email, like, you know, always just hedging risk with me when I'm trying to figure out like, oh, what's a, what's a better, safer move here. And they're like, great thing you found a manufacturer, but ha- like, make sure you're keep- continuing to talk to other ones, hedge yourself, make sure you're always in dialogue with others and knowing what else is out on the market um, just to keep yourself safe. And just simple advice like that has been huge. Um, so that's where we're at. We have not finalized a manufacturer yet, but we I'm prototyping back and forth with one. And then hopefully prototyping with a new one, again, just to, to de-risk. Isabel can talk a little bit more about how navigating that has been. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's been a transition. Um, I would definitely say the background that Coco and I are from is much more professional in a sense, where if you send an email, you expect to hear back within 24 hours and you expect the communication to be very clear and obviously working with these factories that are oftentimes overseas is very different. Like we have one manufacturer who basically exclusively corresponds with us via WhatsApp. Um, <laughs> so it's just, it's like these friction points like Coco said, but it's all such good indicators that, you know, things are happening and we're growing and we're learning um, from each of these individual experiences. So we tried to first source a manufacturer in the U.S. that proved really challenging just from a cost perspective. Um, And so then we ended up looking uh, for manufacturers overseas. But something that's really important to Coco and I is the sustainability and social element of these factories. And so that's always been top of mind for us when we do enter into dialogue with them, um, just confirming that, you know, they're up to standard, they're treating their factory workers ethically, um, et cetera. And so um, it's just been, I've learned so much about cultural communication, how you really need to be cognizant of that when you enter into these conversations with people. So yeah, I think now we're in a good place with like three, three to four factories that we feel confident in potentially moving forward with. It's just really making that final decision around who is the right partner for us for, you know, our first batch manufacturing. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So Coco, what are you looking forward to in the, in the months ahead? It sounds like maybe, maybe manufacturing, maybe something, something beyond that. Uh, in the coming months you're saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm looking forward to doing, so Isabel and Madison have been working on sort of a pre-launch, pre-sale launch. We've, we've launched our business. You can buy a sports bra on our website. Um, again, these are handmade sports bras though. So we, we are planning a pre-sale um, to basically, you know, once we have agreed manufacturer that this is the sports bra that we are uh, really happy with and that we think is an amazing product and then bring that to market and then um, have a pre-sale audience so we are sort of trying to do that between honestly now and by end of June uh, the timing is, is tricky to plan just because of manufacturing timelines are less um, you know they're less in your hands sometimes because it's not a matter of you know, when you, t- it's, it's like they kind of have the the power right now because I'm trying to get my product there and um, they have plenty of other customers. Right. So I have to, that's why I've tried to just keep selling sports bras in general, the handmade ones, because um, you just get, this is what I'm looking forward to getting more texts like this. Cause as Isabel was talking, I was thinking about the social aspect, like what, you know, what makes me like smile so big because this feels, because there are a lot of low days. I'm not going to lie to you. There are some days where I'm like, what am I doing? Like, am I, am I, is this idea landing? Do people, is this changing lives here? I mean, it's easy to say no because it's an apparel product and it's, you know, it's not out there like a frontline worker per se, but it is really meaningful when I get a text like this from this woman that um, reached out that is a family family friend. Um, she said, Coco, I've been loving the sports bra. Thought I was stashing fine with my sports belt, but this is definitely a game changer. More comfortable, accessible, and just plain fun. 
I am feeling safe when I run with my phone. And I'm just really happy that you are doing this. And I honestly, that text will change my day. I will be busy trying to race to the seamstress and get these orders fulfilled. And, and, you know, it's a lot of spending money up front, right? Because I'm trying to, you know, spend a lot on the, the, the bras and, and, um, my seamstress, which are just higher margins in general, I'm sort of like running to the bank to get cash. And it's like, wow, what am I doing? And then I'll get a text like that. And I'm like, okay, yes, this is what I'm doing. I am giving women a better sports bra. I'm letting women run hands-free. It's an amazing experience. I know it personally. So there are these highs and lows. Um, so I'm sort of looking forward to more texts like that. Um, looking forward to to seeing each day, um, seeing each day out because I've learned, I've learned a lot in, in the process. Um, and, uh, yeah, the menu, the pre-sale would be like the best milestone for us to hit before. I want to say before 4th of July, I just feel like I need to, but it, it's been pushed out a few times. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Isabel, anything you're looking forward to? Um, yeah, I would echo all of what Coco just said. It's just really exciting to see things moving so quickly. You know, there are moments where we feel overwhelmed. And I think it's a blessing to be in that position because you know that people are interested. They want your product. They're asking questions. You know, people want to enter into conversations with you. And so um, I'm just really excited to watch the business continue to grow. And Another thing that I'm sure a lot of people who know Coco know this, she is a phenomenal leader. Um, I've learned so much just from her, not even related to apparel or fashion or any of that, just from her um, just leadership skills. And I'm really excited to continue learning from her because I've, I've said this to her, she's a better leader than a lot of other managers that I've had in my life. And, you know, she's never led a team, quote unquote, but I think it just goes to show like, being a leader is not something you can really be trained for. I know you can enhance your, your skill set, but I think true leaders just have that natural disposition to want to help other people grow. And I think that's something that Coco is always so cognizant of. Like she'll say, well, what do you want to learn? What do you want to run with? And she gives both Madison and I, Madison and I that freedom to do so. And it's just really empowering from, from a colleague perspective. And so I'm also really excited about that. Thanks, Isabel. Yeah. Where's a team full of love, Brett? <laughs> Loving team. So we got really two last like questions. Yeah, two last yeah. questions. One, where did the name come from? The name came from, it's a little bit of a long story, so I'll try to abbreviate. I was hiking in Utah and Arizona the summer before business school and Alaska actually. And I met up with a friend and we were hiking and um, she said to me, we're having just a weird conversation about what animals we probably were in like a past life, if that was a thing. Everyone talks about that. Everyone, okay, okay. I guess that's <laughs> um, like, you're definitely a hummingbird. And I'm like, what? We, you just said you don't like birds. Like, what, what do you mean I'm a hummingbird? And she said, yeah, because um, you, you move so fast but you know how to stand still when like someone's talking to you and listen to them. And I, hummingbirds run, or sorry, um, spread, uh, flap their wings super, super, super fast so that they can stand, stay still to get um, the nectar from the, from the flower that they're getting food from. And so this imagery to me, it's appealed to me later um, that a hummingbird can, you know, go so fast and have thing, have their front stay still, which is sort of the purpose of my sports bra. Um, but se separately, hummingbirds just started to take this meaning for me. And when I was shopping for stuff for my apartment here in Charlottesville, and my, I had just dropped my mom off at the at the airport, and she doesn't know the story about hummingbirds and how they've sort of taken this meaning for me. This is back in last. Um, this is August of 2019, and I'm really, really close to my mom. And I dropped her off at the airport because she was going to fly from Charlottesville to Boston, and you know, like I'm just hysterically crying because I'm, she's my best friend. And I'm like, I'm about to do this experience and I don't have friends and it just seems lonely and scary. Am I going to be smart enough for this? And um, then I, after I drop her off, I go to um, a furniture store. I think it's sold. I think it's um, gone out of business now, Pier One Imports. And um, I roll in there and there's 
not many bedroom pillows, but there's one with this like beautiful hummingbird on it. And I'm like, oh, I just started hysterically crying and fear one imports. And the lady's like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> I just oh okay and I bought the pillow and um my mom sent me a letter that week and um it was a hummingbird quote she had no idea I didn't tell her um and it was a beautiful quote about hummingbirds and she said this reminded me of you and so it just stu stuck with me and uh that that's sort of the story it's it's a little long but um it I keep it close and if someone listening to this podcast is interested in learning more about hummingbird your mm -hmm. sports bra yeah uh, where can they learn more they can learn more on my website runwithhum.com that's r-u-n-w-i-t-h-h-u-m-m.com and follow us on instagram the same handle at runwithhum they can also email me coco coco -C at runwithhum or isabel at runwithhum we are running with hum and that's that's sort of where you can you can find us hummingbird is a pretty um used word business name so I, if you just google hummingbird you might not find us i'm tr trying to work on the search engine um optimization but uh, run with hum is where is where you'll find us um and brett just quick thank you to you for for having us this is mm -hmm. such a cool opportunity um so thank you yeah thank you both it's great catching up with you good luck uh, with Hummingbird. Good luck with that pre-sale. We'll have to have you, you back on the podcast to hear how things are going. Love it. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. And that was my interview with Coco Waltz and Isabel Kale Larson, uh, two of our recent graduates from the Darden School of Business class of 2021. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, requests, anything you'd like for us to cover here on the podcast, we're all ears. We can be reached at Darden, that's D-A-R-D-E-N, at virginia.edu. Until next time, stay safe. Be well, and thanks for listening.